everybody, welcome back to Confidently Insecure, the podcast where we are absolutely sure we don't know everything. And today's guest is August McLaughlin, and she is a sexuality writer. She wrote the book Girl Boner. She also has a podcast called Girl Girl Boner, uh, Girl Boner Radio, and it's all about the good girl's guide to sexual empowerment. This episode was so fascinating to record. August actually took part in an orgasm study at Rutgers University. She talks about how she masturbated for the first time at the age of 30. And we even talk a little bit about sexuality privilege. It's a very NSFW episode, but more educational than anything. You can watch this on YouTube at youtube.com slash Kelsey Dara and listen to this wherever podcasts are listened to. Enjoy this episode, August McLaughlin. everybody welcome back to confidently secure today i have a very exciting and educational i was trying to combine the words edutainment educational entertainment together guest on the podcast we have oglet jesus christ i've I done like, three no one's ever said today. that i actually kind of like it oglist oglist it's like it's like the august like craigslist but oglist it's combining your first and last name it's August McLaughlin. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And I wanted to ask, how do you intro yourself? Because are you a sexpert? Are you a gyno who doesn't practice medicine? What, how do you introduce your work? I usually say I'm a health and sexuality writer and host and creator of Girl Boner. And then people go like, well, what's Girl Boner? So then I go into all the layers. What's Girl Boner? So what's Girl Boner? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. So surprising. Um, yeah, so Girl Boner is a term I trademarked a few years back because at the time, it's actually like seven years ago, there were really no terms, universal terms, for female sexual arousal. Mm-hmm. And my slang dictionary had a whole bunch for, for dudes, for dudes. Yeah. yeah. And so a Girl Boner had been like my own joke term since I was a kid. and. I just decided to turn it into activism because Mm -hmm. I went through a lot in my own life and embracing my sexuality Mm -hmm. helped me really thrive. So I trademarked it, started a blog series Mm -hmm. that led to the podcast about a year later. And then the books came out Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. last year and this year. The the purple one just came out last year? This one came out in August, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, In August? In August. Is your birthday in August? It's not. Oh, my grandfather's name. Oh, that's cool. 16th, Leo. Anyways. Nice. Uh, What's your sign just now? I'm a Sagicorn. I'm a Sagittarius. Capricorn cusp. Okay, good to know. Um, So the book she is referring to, if you are not watching on YouTube, is Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment. And I have to say, when you sent this to me, I was like, I bitch, what are you going to try and teach me? I am the sex queen. I know everything about it. I've done it, smoked it, fucked it, snorted it, bought the t-shirt. There's nothing you can teach me. And in about mm, 30 seconds in, I learned so much this is such a in-depth partly personal look at uh female sexual empowerment and I I don't want to say female if that's not the right term no you can use that for sure I I certainly I want it to be a very inclusive book that's my first question why is the inclusivity why is the inclusivity language important to you besides the obvious it's the right thing to do right um it's interesting because when I first started I thought with my blog, I thought I was going to attract women and, and you know, I thought I was an inclusive person. Mm-hmm. I, I really 
I thought I'm accepting of LGBTQ, you know, but I didn't realize how much I didn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And because I've learned so much, the biggest gift for my own journey with this work has been learning about all the shades of everything. Yes. And so for me, that's like number one, even though it is because of my own journey, mm-hmm. I, I started from a place of overcoming shame around like you can't be a good girl mm-hmm. and also be a sexual being. Right. Like that's not supposed to happen. So I have a huge segment of my audience who identifies that way, but some of them are, you know, femme or mm-hmm. they identify as non-binary, mm-hmm. but they have that background. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of my work is incredibly diverse <laughs> as far as gender. Um, and a lot of guys read my stuff and yeah. I want everyone to feel welcome. It does feel like something I wish I would have gotten my hands on in fifth, sixth grade. And that actually leads me kind of into my first round of questions that I want to talk about sex education. You have really good parts of your book um, talking about sex ed and and sort of your experience with it. And you talk about at an early age, um, we learn in sex ed about what feels good for a man. And we never really hear about the opposition. And all we hear is how everything kind of sucks for chicks. You get your period, (laughs) you get cramps, you have to have a baby. Like, we never hear that anything feels good for us. So how do we start teaching proper sex ed? And at what age do we feel like that's appropriate? I love this question. I think it's really important to start at home as soon as a child asks a question. Mm. Kids ask questions when they're two, three, four years old. I started humping pillows before I could talk. Exactly. (laughs) And you know what? That should be accepted you know and I think that right (laughs) but the problem is there's all these like generational differences so Mm -hmm. like our parents know less than we do our parents parents do less than Mm -hmm. our parents did and so and we all learn that it's like secret and and private and that you should go oh my god never do that Mm -hmm. you know my mom told me my vagina was gonna fall off if I didn't start stop masturbating because she just didn't know what to do with me right she was like she didn't therapy didn't work like she didn't know and she was probably imagining you'd be going around humping every Everything. everything you know and it's yeah. like that's really normal though to want to explore your body mm-hmm. so answering the questions just with basic information mm-hmm. that's factual yes not a hint of shame even if inside you're like oh my god because we pass that on so easily so i think that's a really good point in talking about it factually that you say because whenever i think of the birds and the bees i immediately my stomach drops immediately because there definitely was a lot of you know i was raised pretty religiously but like shame based sensations when I think about opening up a sexual dialogue with someone older than myself. So talking about it factually kind of reminds me about the same way we say like, don't talk to babies in baby talk voice, just talk to them like they're humans or whatever, like just talk to them like they're adults. Do we need to start talking to kids about sex in in an adult way sooner? I would say in in some ways, yes. In a way, not necessarily using cutesy little names, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's like more childish. Your, your flower, your precious delicate. Like, what the... My pussy can take anything, okay? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Right. <laughs> no, I am so with you there. We need to learn the actual terms. And then if you want to have your own nicknames, I think that's cool. Yeah. But they should be empowering ones. And yeah. there's so many disempowering ones for anyone with a vulva vagina. So, yeah, I think that aspect needs to grow up for sure. And how do you feel about using the word pussy in the way that 
most kids do today. Like, you're being a fucking pussy. And we're like, the vagina is the most powerful thing on the planet, yet we use it in such a derogatory form. Do we need to, like, take back the word a little bit? We do. I actually also want to take back cunt. Oh, like, I, I love cunt. I love it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love the word cunt. cunt. Let's start saying cunt more It's so powerful. Way. And yeah. that that is the biggest insult for somebody right. is so broken. It's, it's so, so broken. broken. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Um, Going back to sex education, you talk about virginity being a social construct, that there's no scientific – this is one of the first things that blew my mind. There is no scientific or medical definition for virginity. Nope. What? Totally made up. I mean, you can ask a bunch of different – Experts. experts. You're air quoting there. Right. Experts. I'm air quoting because if you talk to somebody who knows the physiology of it, mm-hmm. there is none. There is none. But if you talk to someone who's like part of a certain religion, mm-hmm. they will say it's when you do this or when you do that. I mean, it's like it's really just a judgment and mm-hmm. it's it's based on that kind of purity culture thing. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So do we need to – I'm trying to think of um, – we had a lot of people who wrote in that asked – they themselves were virgins and um, I – wonder if we need to do we take away the word virgin or is it helpful in some respects that's such a good question it's so interesting i i don't think we really i i don't think we really need, <laughs> we need it. to abolish the word i mean right i mean right. it's a unless you want to just own it for your yeah. own self but the thing is it took me a long time to realize i was having sex before i realized i was having sex right because i thought having sex meant Penis and vagina mm-hmm. intercourse. Mm-hmm. That's what you're taught. Yes. Yeah. And I've met people who are really entrenched in that purity culture mm-hmm. stuff where you learn very, very extreme things about like the fundamental ideas about gender and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's very common for them to be very active in anal sex because mm. they think that's okay. Oh, so we we really are just like misinterpreting, I think, a lot of religious um rules if you will into now we're teaching it in like public schools for maybe people who don't even believe in that religion completely and I think at least as important as talking about what virginity means and whether there's a definition is our definition of sex go on like what does it mean right right? so many people do think of it as intercourse and I was asked the other day does oral sex count as sex because the word sex is in it and I thought what does sex mean to me and then it had me deep dive into well do I consider it orgasm no because sex can still be enjoyable without orgasm I don't consider it penetration because I do have sex with uh, genders unlike the opposite of mine so do I consider digital penetration sex like I it had me swimming do you have an answer that is such a powerful question for (laughs) us all to think about it because I think I think it varies for all of us, mm. and I think we need to think about that more because mm. I think you can be having, like, mind sex. Like, yeah. I think our sexuality Ooh. is, like, you know, it's in us. It's, yeah. it's in our – it's in the way we speak and the way mm. we hold ourselves and the way we connect with people. It's in – it's very sensual. It's in our – the food we eat. So, you know, I don't think we're all having sex constantly, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I do think that there's, you know, there's sex as – something that you share with one particular person, especially with particular genitalia, is very Mm -hmm. limiting. But if we think of it as either something that is like, for me, it's something that's very sensual and orgasmic, whether there's an orgasm or not, you know, like orgasmic, either with another person or not, like just by myself. And for the longest time, I thought I had to have another person there to, to like be sexual as a human. Yeah. So I want to touch on what you mentioned a little bit. You said like for the longest time. And the first chapter in your book talks about how you, I want to get this right. 
I want to get the verbiage right, that you did not orgasm, climax? What should I say? That you didn't... I know what you're saying. Okay, so I I had had, I'd ex- I now say experienced. So I have experienced many orgasms mm-hmm. by then. I had never masturbated. Masturbated? Until age 30. Until age 30. I'm sorry, ago. I'm not trying to be like, what? No, you but should be. holy shit. Everyone should be. Okay, when, so uh, yeah. you were having <laughs> sex. Oh, yeah. And orgasming. Yep. But you weren't masturbating. Correct. Okay. Where Usually the <laughs> order of that is... Is the opposite. So tell yes, me about that. Yes, yes. It's not that common. Uh, it does happen. So others out there, I feel like a kindred connection No, my, my tone was definitely <laughs> shameful. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It was, what? It was a surprise. And, yeah. I, and I think that that's completely Societal. okay. Yeah. Right. And if whether somebody's... Either way is okay. Yeah. Um, but... I did not even realize that I had shame around my Mm. sexuality. I knew that I was – I considered myself kind of, like, naughty because I liked sex Mm -hmm. and because I grew up with a lot of religious beliefs about you can only have sex once you're married. Mm -hmm. I thought, like – it made me like kind of kinky because I had sex before I was married. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I I didn't even realize that – I had absorbed this message, and it was similar to the message that you heard about your, uh, I think it was your vagina. Um, I was in a bathtub, and my grandmother, who was a missionary, um, I was just touching around, and I'm like, what's in there? And her voice, she was the sweetest person. I never heard her sound evil or angry. She sounded so angry and like, like witchy like just like Cruella-y and she was like never touch that (gasps) and I mean I'm probably remembering it not quite well but that was my perception certainly an impact yeah and I didn't really think about it but it really got to me because once I had sex with a partner, I was like, this is great. This is awesome. I'll just have it whenever I want yeah. to with a person. And I even wrote a paper in college about why you don't, why need, to I don't need to masturbate. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about <laughs> what that essay could have possibly sounded like. Uh, okay. What I remember is that the main point was I had a partner mm-hmm. who I could have sex with. Mm-hmm. We had pleasurable sex. So what was the point? Like, I just, I literally didn't see why. I needed to. My sex life was very gratifying, right. but it was very limited. Right. It was always the same positions. Mm-hmm. It was very like standard, here you go. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so it wasn't until when I was 30 that I was in a very wonderful relationship, mm-hmm. long-term relationship, and my partner was away quite mm-hmm. a bit. And I got really irritated mm-hmm. and like feeling really depressed. And I was like, what is going on with me? <laughs> One night I realized I was horny. <laughs> it like dawned on me. And that's what me. it was. So yeah. before you had done it when you were 30, had you tried or were you just, what would the shame arise when you tried to do it? That's, or did you just have yeah. such a disconnection with your own body? I think it was a combination. Mm. One of the things though is, you know, a lot of people who have vulvas really prefer the external stimulation your girl's one of them yes exactly which is super duper common I am much more internal oh so you are kind of like I don't want to say rare because you also talk about how we have to be careful using terms like that oh that's okay yeah it's like only a certain percentage of women come on their backs which I think is (laughs) fucking crazy that anyone can come on their back but I shouldn't say that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do you, boo. It's okay. I'm learning. Let it out. I'm Let learning. it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I am um, in a minority, I would say for sure, of people who I tend to experience orgasm inside and I mm. orgasm through intercourse. Like that's, so that's like my favorite. Yeah. So I, if you're not, 
I didn't really think of putting anything in there. I mean, I would do, I would rub every once in a while, mm-hmm. and it just was like itchy or made me want something more, which mm. I thought had to be a penis. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So. You you detail it a lot in the book of the actual experience and how it changed you. What was it like, you know, someone could, would consider that later in your sexual journey, especially after having sex for so long, how did that change you? Oh, it was very emotional, and I felt like a teenager again. <laughs> I literally felt like I wanted to do it all the all time. The time. <laughs> I'd be driving. I was driving somewhere. I had to teach a class, and I was like, oh. I really wanted to like pull a toy out or like I've definitely driven and masturbated on the highway while driving oh yeah I always feel like I would get into an accident I I, it was not smart yeah but I did it we aren't recommending it but (laughs) but sometimes when you get in that spot you gotta itch to scratch the itch it's true and I mean it's a great way to get through the traffic we have here right yeah holy shit it's bad you're sitting still anyway yeah so it's it's not that dangerous Yeah, yeah um going back to the sex education um you talk about a law, or, or you talk about a study, or, or the woman that talks about a study of the law in 94 that the White House implemented about outlawing the teaching of sex ed and how that affected the way we still learn it today. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was also Elders, a little, yes. the, Yeah, so she is incredible. And she essentially was pro-masturbation. Like, we should be taught that masturbation is a safe form of sex mm. because it is. And as you're, you know, instilling all this fear in children and being like, if you sit on a toilet seat, you're going to have like fungus on your butt. Or right. Like <laughs> you get these weird images in your head and you're afraid of everything. Yeah. And the fact that we will teach abstinence, which doesn't Ugh, work as we know, no. but we will not teach that you can have your own autonomy. And mm. especially for girls and people with vulvas, I think it's really important to know that we are very self-sufficient. Mm. And when you don't try to fulfill that void with a, a relationship that's not necessarily good, because that's what I would do. Right, because right. I wasn't masturbating, I would just end up dating, dating someone some every time up, I was right. horny. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you say people with vulvas... For someone who maybe doesn't know what a vulva is, explain your terminology. So a vulva is the whole external genital area um, for anybody who has a clitoris. And the vagina is the canal. Right. And what we hear is like the vagina is equivalent. I don't know what this was. I'm like making a (laughs) A a sign language of a pole. Um, But the vagina and the penis are not equivalents. The clitoris and the penis are Mm. equivalents. And they're actually about the same size. Your diagram in your book blew my motherfucking mind because you showcased that the vagina, or sorry, the clitoris. See, even I'm like, what? Uh, the clitoris is expands far past the button that we have been taught that it yeah. is. And especially when so many people joke about finding it, it's a little bit of everywhere. Mm-hmm. Can you sort of mm-hmm. explain that diagram that I'm talking about? Totally. And I love that you said that because it was actually really hard for me to find examples of diagrams mm. for the illustrator. Oh, wow. I wanted an aroused clitoris diagram, and yeah. there wasn't one. I, I found, like, one image that was from someone's paper from a feminist studies program. That was wow. it. So to show it engorged, to show that it gets that Larger, size, basically. Right. Yeah, so you see the little button part on the outside 
outside right. and that is incredibly sensitive right like, but then there's like it's almost like a wishbone right comes up and the internal clitoris when that gets aroused it's incredible and you can arouse it through kissing because all the blood flow goes down there right. and the pleasure is just incredible and, and so it's even a little bit like the nerve surrounding that area so even like the thighs mm-hmm. the totally. upper stomach like a little bit around the butt like yeah that whole area is is just as pleasurable around mm-hmm. the what we think the clitoris is, I'm making air quotes, but man, this should be an episode for all people. I, I know I have like a largely, you know, girl-based audience, but I think that when guys watch porn and they see this one thing being done and it's almost like an overstimulation, I remember when I didn't like it, I felt weird saying that I didn't like it because I thought that I was supposed to. And instead of being like, ow, holy shit, that's too much, I just kept letting it happen for years. And I just really didn't ever enjoy someone eating me out because I was like this, no one knows how to fucking do it because no one knows where... How how expansive it could be yeah. and how, how to incorporate all parts of it. Completely. We didn't even name the clitoris in medical texts or know the anatomy of it until like a couple of decades ago. Wow. This is brand new stuff. No I mean, shit. it's, yeah, people really did think there was just this little. A little tiny button little that like button no one could and, find. And that was undervalued too. Right. So it's literally, there were some medical texts that it was cut out of once it was in there. <laughs> so you can imagine. Right. Yeah. It's, it is important for us to know this. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about menage a moi, as you call it in the book, which yes. is so fun. Another way that we call it masturbation in sex ed. Um, I have a fan question from Danielle who wanted to ask, is pleasure something that should be talked about with young kids along with general sex or should they figure it out on their own? Which I thought was interesting because I'm definitely someone who found it on my own and was just very exploratory before I got any educational information about masturbation. So how do we or don't we separate the talk of masturbation and sex at a young age? I think it should be incorporated. Mm -hmm. I think it should at least be mentioned that Mm -hmm. it's a thing because one problem is people start associating shame with pleasure. Mm. So if, if every time you feel pleasure, you go, oh, I wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to feel that, mm-hmm. then you will internalize a message of shame and you might even start to feel like shame will be your turn on. Whoa. You know, I've, I've interviewed people for whom that's the case. I didn't think about that. Yeah. You just had, hold on, I just had like a mind-blowing gif moment, but. It's wild, right? You can start to have shame be your turn on. Right. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Which like not, if you're into no. like humiliation right, fetishes. Right, Which that's not where the, all of that comes from. I, I want to differentiate that a bit because it's, I don't feel that if you have that fetish, then, oh, you must you're have shameful. shame. No. Um, but. For example, I interviewed a woman named Erica Garza who wrote a book about her experience with uh, porn addiction. Mm. And she had so much shame around her porn use Mm. that, like, she needed more and more shame to get off. Like, it became this cycle. And so you want people to feel comfortable with their bodies. Mm -hmm. So even just saying sometimes it feels good, like, Mm -hmm. it might feel good and that's okay as a private activity. Right. So, and we're also saying that that should happen as soon as someone starts asking. So there really isn't, like, an age limit or starting age. Right. But I, I think it is important to know that you don't have to, like, I think... The thought of talking to a child about pleasure is, like, terrifying for a lot of people. I wouldn't really know how to go about, like, all those details, right? right? And I'm not a parent. um, So – but I do think that you can address it just – just, again, the basic fact, like – 
pleasure exists, like that mm. they know it's there is good. Mm. And then if they have questions, mm -hmm. then answer them. But you don't have to be like, well, then if you stimulate this yeah, part, right, and, right, right. you know, when they're seven, and you don't need to do that. And it's different from sex and blah, right. blah, blah. Right. Got it. Um, I loved the section in your book about consent, particularly the bit about consent where you were talking about asking someone to take off their shirt before, you know, just rip it off. And I found in times of passion when things are getting hot and crazy, I, I've seen in movies that that's like what's supposed to happen, you know, in the notebook. Like every time I was having sex, I would be like, I need that moment of like pure, like raw emotion. But I that made me stop and, and take pause because I was like, oh, there definitely have been moments in my life where that has happened, right? The shirt has been ripped off. And instead of me going like, wait a minute, I've gone, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And it's become part of the the motion. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, I feel like recently media has brought up the, the I don't want to say the issue of consent, the conversation about consent and how is that, you know, you hear men saying like, oh, we can't fucking get away with anything or we can't do anything uh, anymore. But how how do you hope the conversation um, in about around consent ha is changing and has changed? It's so vital. And I think it has a bit of a heaviness for a lot of people when they hear consent. They go, oh, this is going like to be like this, a talk. With, right. Yeah. Like a scolding or right, something. Right. Where really consent is, it's a mutual connection. It's mm. a conversation, as you said. So it brings more pleasure. It allows for more turn-ons. And uh, most people, if they're good people, they care about their partner's pleasure, right? right. So we want to know what feels good for our partner. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, if you think about it as something that is as essential as lube, you yeah. know, like it's just something that is helpful right? and will only deepen the experience and make things mm. hotter. It's not yeah. meant to like punish someone. Right. And I think that's the difference is people think like, oh, all of a sudden I'm the bad guy because I have to ask if I'm doing something. It's like, well, no, if I'm giving you all the signals and I, like you said, it's, it's a connection, that's hot. Totally. <laughs> it's way hotter. Yeah. And once you know, it's not like every single time you have to be, if you know your partner loves this, yeah. ripping off the shirt, then you can do that. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of ways to communicate, but just yeah. don't like assume everybody yes. wants it. And I it. think that that's, that's a difference between like ha sleeping with someone for the first time and, you know, a connection that I have with my partner who I've been with for a long time is that the first time always feels a little bit um, like dipping the toe in the water yeah. and I feel like that can hinder people sometimes because we're not really sure how to have those very first conversations those Completely. very moments sexually with people yeah and I, I I think I've said this on either this podcast or the last but I dangerously realized that in all of the people I've ever had intercourse with I have never for the first time done it with them sober I've never had sex with someone for the wow. first time Sober. Maybe second time totally sober or, you yeah. know, all the time sober now with my boyfriend, but even including my partner now and partners we have together, I always have had to be a little drunk. That's so interesting. It's fucked up is what it is, right? Like, and it, and I think it's because when I have that little bit of liquid courage, I don't care if I need to ask about the herpes. I don't care if I need to ask about a condom. Like, I don't right. care. Like, I, I'm a little more unashamed to open the dialogue. Yeah, that's so interesting because you're using something that's a bit of a coping thing, right, mm -hmm. to do something really positive. Mm -hmm. And when we notice that we're doing something that we're like, that's really not the one I would pick, 
You know, right. now the awareness is so big. Then you can go, what can I like replace that with? Right. Is it that I have the vulnerable conversation and say, you know, I've never had first time sex with somebody without alcohol. I'd like us to try this. Right. I'm kind of nervous. And let can we go slow or can we can we breathe first? You oh, know, like, no, I love that. You know, I like love you that. do a little sexy yeah. tantra video oh my God. YouTube, on YouTube. Yes, yeah. there's just one thing. <laughs> we're, we're super into that right now. Like yeah. just breathing with someone and like yeah. touch is so important. Right. And, and even if nothing shit. else, you can be like, no penetration's happening today. Ooh. I'm gonna have sex with you. We're gonna share sex. We're gonna have this orgasmic experience and if something else happens great but there's like zero pressure we're just gonna be like let's get to know each other's bodies and breathe and feel good I think there's that's something to be said too about um guys who experience I don't even like calling it erectile dysfunction because the, the word dysfunction puts such a negative connotation on it but Something I was speaking about with my sex therapist, I said that as if you are now my other sex therapist. Oh, I'm so honored that you actually <laughs> said that. Um, she was talking about how we put so much emphasis on the guy boner because it's something we can physically see, this rock-hard mm-hmm. appendage that sticks out from our body, whereas with people with vulvas, it's something very internal and, and very, um, you know, I think that's why a lot of people with vulvas fake it is because it's not something that can be seen and we know we can kind of get away with it Mm. um yeah I don't know why I said that but it was just it is an interesting thing I think you're right and I think it's one of the reasons that it was sort of ignored for a long Mm -hmm. time and still is a lot of the times is because you can't see it so it, it in that way it feels more mystical but it's really not as complicated as we make it out to be sure sure clitoral Anatomy, it, we've talked about, expands beyond that button that most people know about. But what the fuck is a C-spot? <laughs> so the C-spot is a term I used for um, if you're experiencing orgasm by stimulating the cervix. So the cervix is above the vagina. Yeah. So have you ever had a toy or like a large penis yes. like way up high and you're like, Ooh. and it hurts. Yeah, it hurts a right. little. Like sometimes it's tender. Sometimes it affects people differently. So some people love it and it's a little like the good pain you know because like the pain and pleasure like centers are so massage. close yeah you're like ooh. or sometimes it's pure pleasure and some people are like oh that's too much right right but you can experience orgasm through that so there's a g spot there's a c spot is there any more spots there's a p I'm, spot what's a p spot that's the prostate so they call it the quote-unquote male right, g spot but right. yeah the p spot and do women have that we have prostate glands don't we yeah, I don't know, do we? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, let's shift the conversation a little bit over to vaginal health. Yes. Um, you talk a lot about pubic hair, and uh, we've talked about on the podcast how that can be linked to porn, and we see uh, porn a certain way, so we, we base, like, that's all That's all we have to base what our vaginas should look, our vulvas should look like. Yeah. Um, and something that I had another mind-blown moment was when you said – the reason why most people with vulvas in porn are bare down there is because porn is a visually stimulating experience. Yeah. So they need to be able to see what's happening. It's more enticing for whoever's watching to see, so they shave it all off because it's just a better point of view. Yeah, it's one of the reasons. Like if you saw just this big mound of hair, it, you can't it's tell still what the sex if you know sex is happening. Yeah. But yeah, you need to see the details. And also, as you were saying earlier, 
it doesn't always look the way that would actually feel pleasurable. I think of it like a cooking show. You know how, like, they bring up the, like, perfect cooked meal right, right. after they spend, like, two minutes cooking it. Right. If you actually made that, the whole place would be a mess and things are flying <laughs> right, and right. all that stuff. I feel like porn is that way. It's it's all designed to be outward to the camera. Right. How can you do, like, clitoral stim outward to the camera? Like, something's covering it. Right. You so, can't see it. Yeah, yeah. And and then some people, the hair gets in the way if mm-hmm. they're, they don't like how it tickles mm-hmm. or, you know, there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, but it's important that people know that they don't have to shave, shave or wax. Right. I mean, those things can be really painful. Like, I mm-hmm. went to pain-free or painless waxing once, which, uh, by the way, is not a thing. <laughs> I was about to say. Oh, my uh, gosh. And the first thing the person asked me was, like um, did you take Tylenol? And I was like, oh, why? why? It says pain-free waxing. Oh, God. It was so – I it was excruciating for me. And I'm just like, I don't really want to build up a tolerance to right. that feeling good. Right. So I'm not doing it. Right. But bless you if you love it. <laughs> if you great. like it and if you can do it, great. Do it. But, yeah. But it blew my mind that I was like, oh, shit. You know, it definitely does have something to do with um, the word you used in the book about how we, we like, young. It, it's because it looks young, too. Like, there's definitely that. Yeah, that really gets to me for yeah. deeply personal reasons, but also because we're humans mm-hmm. and we care, right? Mm-hmm. Like, about the infantilization yes, of thank things. thank you. I, there's so no fucking way I would remember that it word. It drives me Infantilization. Crazy. Yeah, okay. the way that we sexualize children. Right, right. And I just so, don't think that's a good influence. To see, yeah. when I see bodies in porn that look like they're 12 right. or – it completely freaks me out. Right. And yeah. it's sending the wrong message. And I think that's why when the first time I had a guy say, like, oh, my God, you shave everything? And I was like, well, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. And he was like, no, women have hair on their pussies. And I was like, oh, okay. And it kind of changed the way I thought about it where it was like, if you're grown enough to be having sex, you most more likely than not ha- are growing pubic hair. Right, because we grow pubic hair right. when our bodies are changing and we're right. having all those hormonal changes. And and pubic hair is also a turn-on for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not necessarily everyone. Everyone's different, but it's interesting how we just assume mm-hmm. if we just get rid of it all. Like, we all need to look like eggs and right? like shiny, smooth. <laughs> like slippery dolphins. Yeah. I love the term egg. That's really funny. Um, can we go into some fan questions? Yes. We had a absolutely. lot here. Cool. Uh, her name is Sarah. I had weight loss surgery a few years ago at 20 years old and have lost over 100 pounds since. I feel hot sometimes now, but I swear I felt sexy more often and had a higher sex drive before losing weight. I feel like I had less pressure to look a certain way during sex because I wasn't trying to prove anything, just enjoying myself as a plus-size woman. I now oddly feel like I have to prove myself as a smaller person. Mm -hmm. I still feel big, sitting around 185 pounds, but I was never this self-conscious before when it came to sex and being sexual overall when I weighed 300 pounds. I just want to rediscover my old insatiable self and learn how to take what I want again. Any tips? Wow, what a profound question. It brings up so many good points. Mm. Uh, One being that we tend to think of body image struggles Mm. as – you know, people who are larger in size mm-hmm. are, are more prone to. Sometimes they're more confident, and they're like, "This is who I am." Yeah, and right. you know, we all we all struggle with this stuff. Right. It's it's a really tough one. I think that what she's doing with awareness is so big. Again, yeah. one, once you know it is happening, then you can answer back. And because right. I went through a really serious eating disorder, and mm-hmm. one of the things that helped me with that mental talk that is so hard that mm-hmm. most people experience 
whether you have an eating disorder or not, is to do like an inventory of the mm. negative thoughts you have in like a day, which right. is really intense if you're struggling a lot. But then take a break and then go back and argue it all. Uh, Even if you have to lie. Ask for concrete proof. Yeah, just decide to change it because right. you can. And I also find anger to be very empowering. Mm. Get really mad at like the societal messages mm. because – you should not have to feel that way. Right. I think getting really pissed off and being like, you know what, my rebellion is I'm going to embrace myself. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I I can totally, yeah, that speaks to me. I think another interesting part of her question deals with sex drive, which you talk a lot about in the book, which I love because I think when you do become a sexually empowered woman, and I definitely kind of identify as that, and then – you know, I just recently started like antidepressants and I, it's fucking with my libido and I'm feeling very broken and off and mm-hmm. wrong. And, and I'm like, no, wait, I, I already got past the wokeness part. I'm already a sexually empowered woman, but right. now things are changing. Mm-hmm. And you talk a lot about sex drive and, and how to deal with um, changes. If you could just speak a little bit about that. Yeah. And I love that you shared that because it's mm-hmm. one of the most common side effects of a lot of different medications and mm-hmm. antidepressants being one of them, but it's usually not talked about as a quality of life issue. It should be. Right. Oh my God. Quality of life. Absolutely. Yes, because, because people sex say, is... do you have dry mouth? Right. Are you sleeping? What about like, how is your sex life? Right, do you right. feel, I mean, if you are used to having a particular drive and you don't have that anymore, it's, you grieve that. Right. And it's, it's not always permanent. A lot of times it's temporary, but you should know that. Right. Someone needs to tell you that right and I think we the the part that is the hardest for for people who wrote in asking about um sex drive is that they're worried like they've lost it and it mm. might never come back and it becomes something they ruminate over when they're in the sexual experience <sighs> yes and do you have any advice to I mean it's definitely something I'm asking personally too yeah, is yeah. perhaps I always thought well okay maybe I need to take the pressure off of intercourse with my partner and just enjoy the experience. It doesn't have to equal orgasm. But also, I always assumed I would be able to orgasm from masturbation. And so having to redefine also what masturbation means to me has Mm. been, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Yeah, there's so many different layers to this that are all really valuable. One Mm -hmm. is those disruptive thoughts. Yes. And this applies to many different things, but certainly sex drive, it's a huge one. Yeah. Because regardless of the cause, we start judging ourselves and going like, I'm supposed to feel more turned on mm-hmm. or or we just genuinely miss being so turned on. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, what is my partner thinking? Mm-hmm. And what are, you know. And then it, the boner's gone. The, the girl boner is gone. gone. <laughs> it's, it's a boner buzzkill yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I think it's really important to um, acknowledge that you're having these thoughts mm-hmm. and give yourself some grace to go like, that's a normal thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a, it's not something to just let go and just right. go like, oh, this is how I am. But it also is something to, to practice self-compassion. Yeah. And I think it, it also made me have to check in a little bit with my sexual privilege of like, mm-hmm. I am someone who has been able to, has never had, a, uh, uh, um, has never had problems with yeah. my, exper- my sexual experiences really. And that I've gotten to 28 before mm-hmm. having like a dip in my libido, I feel very right. grateful. And I think we don't talk enough about the people who are, you know, unable to orgasm or can't reach that experience mm-hmm. or, or can't have sex or have painful sex or, or, or even asexual and, and don't know that yet. And, and, and it's all shame-based a little bit. So right. you talk a little bit about checking your sexual privilege in the yes. book. Yes. And do you know you're the first person to ask me about it? What? Whenever I talk about this book, it's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. Like literally, I think oh my gosh! Talk one. as much as you can about it. It was, it was so intriguing. I think intriguing. it's so important, and I love what you said about noticing your own privilege because mm-hmm. I relate to that. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt like as soon as I was like really sexually empowered, I'm like, 
I got this. Mm -hmm. And I thought everyone could switch that on and go like, now that I got it, I'm going to be very orgasmic. And that's not the case. Some people go for decades without realizing or learning how to experience Mm -hmm. orgasm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to to check our privilege in all different facets of life, but to know that inevitably our, our sexuality and our levels of privilege interact um for example if you're if you're a black person you're you might be very fetishized you Mm -hmm. are very Mm -hmm. fetishized in a lot of different porn for example Mm -hmm. or there's this there's pressure on um black men who have penises to be like oh they must have the biggest penises and that's a terrible it's not even Mm fact-based right but then it's also puts all this pressure and Mm self-consciousness and there's this idea that if you're very masculine Mm -hmm. you're not going to be self-conscious right so then you can't even process it so it affects us in so many ways Uh, I wrote about Ducky Doolittle who's Mm -hmm. this amazing sex um, educator and she grew up an orphan Mm. and so her entry into sex education was she was like shocked that she'd go into these stores Mm. and these sex positive places and everyone's like woohoo orgasm and she's like not everyone can have safe sex if Mm. they can't afford condoms and Mm. they don't have health care so just recognizing that I think Mm. and and practicing gratitude and mindfulness around it as Mm. as you're doing I think is really big I think that's also interesting because I was going to say well what do I do with that privilege right because it's not exactly the same as amplifying marginalized voices in a you know a subject about like Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I have orgasm right? privilege, everybody. Right, right? Like, yeah. is there? Well, you know, maybe that's part of my question. Is in part of your book is that it is a little bit of a journal in a way yeah. where you're able to fill out sections and you give little exercises and you've mm-hmm. actually just come out with the Girl Boner Journal, which is a guided journal to sexual joy and empowerment. Which this looks like I'm. I cannot wait to take this home tonight. Um, is there something to opening up the dialogue, creating sort of like a book club-esque, you know, Mm. group of friends to talk about this kind of stuff? Because otherwise we're internalizing it all. And like you said, what good is that doing? So what can we do with our sexual privilege? Yeah, I think that's really important to have conversations. Mm -hmm. And if you're not comfortable talking to someone, or again, that's a privilege to have spaces Mm. to talk about it, to have people to talk about it who are going to feel comfortable if you live in a small town and everyone's like, oh my God, you said sex. You know, (laughs) we're lucky that we live here, that we are um, in a country that we have freedom to Mm. generally talk about this stuff in some spaces. Um, But yeah, I think journaling is really powerful because it allows you to express yourself and explore without without shame shame might come up but you're not thinking oh this person's judging me right. and I don't know right. and so that's really big and then understanding if you do have certain sexual privileges it also means your partners may not mm. so you may have a partner any gender any genitalia mm. who it, it does not experience orgasm easily right don't assume that everybody does right don't assume that everybody has tried all these different things right. and is on, on the same, same page wavelength. With you. that would yeah. be so rare <laughs> it would be right just all right. of a sudden it's it's important to it's just like you've have met your perfect match no. right and, and and sex changes too like totally. right like we talk about this honeymoon phase in relationships where mm-hmm. at the beginning you're just like going at it like rabbits and then you know i've seen a ted talk that says like scientifically when uh, men get in relationships, their mind tricks their dicks into not producing as much, like, chemicals so that they don't fuck as much. Like, oh what the gosh. fuck? Like, how, what does that even mean? Like, ah, uh, there's, there's so many crazy myths out there that get turned into 
perceived fact. fact right. And they used to just enrage mm-hmm. me, and I'd be stomping around. And and now I have, you know, outlets to Yeah, to let's talk, up on our radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's go to another fan question here. Um, Veronica asked how to deal with internalized slut-shaming, subconscious societal restrictions and judgment, which I think is such a fascinating question. I love this question. Because while we get the outward slut-shaming, what about a little bit of the the internal slut-shaming? I mean, most of us have, right? I know there was a time when I would shame women who were like, um, dressing really sexy mm-hmm. for Halloween. <laughs> right. You know, like right. you're like, we how know. come they're all so... Like they're I, hot bees. Right. Like, bees aren't hot. Or that they had um, plastic surgery mm. to have very large breasts mm-hmm. or something. And I think what happens is our sense of femininity and our own attractiveness gets threatened mm. because we're like, oh, I'm not mm-hmm. that. Like that person cheated somehow. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not rational, right. but it's, it's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that self-compassion of going, okay, this is the society that I'm in and it really sucks yeah. and how can I change that? So checking in with yourself mm. is really big noticing it right. <laughs> and stopping yourself and changing. The other thing is speaking up when other people do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's huge yeah. for me. That's huge for me especially with I try to limit my hangout sessions with uh, straight white males these days but they're around still and I am almost always the only person who speaks up when a when a guy is you know talking about a bitch he's gonna fuck tonight and I've had to check my boyfriend with his group of friends and he's sort of become this little internal messenger for me when there have been moments where um that I'm like, you need to fucking say something when they talk that way about women. Do you have any tips or advice for young girls or, or men or, or not that, uh, that how do they stand up in, in moments like that? Because it can be like, oh, well, then you're being like the little bitch of the group or like right. you're, you're soft because you respect women. <laughs> right, exactly. I think one thing to keep in mind is that that – Getting some, having someone say to you, oh, you're such like a wuss, or they'll mm-hmm. say you're a pussy or use some other mm-hmm. demeaning, right. more shaming word, right. um, is not as bad as what we are experiencing Ooh. as a result of it. Like if you can make one positive change and there are other people, there are other dudes for sure in that group who are sitting there sweating a little bit because they feel crappy. They're mm-hmm. like, I can't believe I'm not saying anything. I can't believe they're saying that. It only takes one person to say one darn word. Right. And all you have to say is something really simple usually, like, come on, guys, that's not cool. Walk yeah. away. Or just walk away. I mean, yeah. you, you just don't, standing there and taking it, like silence is it's almost perpetuating worse. the problem. It's complacent as hell. Yeah. Um, Kim wanted to know, why are there so many sex toys for girls or people with vulvas? I would also like to use a toy on or with my male partner. I love toys so much. Um, So there are a lot of toys, I think, because there's so many ways to experience pleasure. Mm. So that's a really good thing. And there's such a variety because we all have different bodies. We all experience pleasure in different places and different Mm -hmm. ways. Most toys can be used for, you know, we hear vibrators are mm-hmm. only for, like, vulvas, vaginas. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Mm-hmm. So they're, as you know, I can say. I sure do. <laughs> yeah. No, couples vibrators are awesome. Even vibrators get all the attention. Right. They're not my favorite. The same. What, what's your favorite? Um, I, can I be honest? My hand. Honestly. That's a good like, choice. And, yeah. and I loved when you talked a little bit about um, your MRI experience, too, with being on your back. Because I 
thought everyone masturbated on their stomachs. And then, like, when I would get around my group of girlfriends, they'd be like, what? Really? And I'm like, wait, you got what? Like, we were sharing experiences. But honestly, my hand has been, she never fails. I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. I I wish that everyone could embrace that. I think Mm. we can, you know. Yeah, but I I think there's something – talking to you know Kim who asked this like mm-hmm. there's something so fun about going to a sex toy store together too yeah. like even if you're kind of like little teenagers in the, the mm-hmm. aisles like oh my god what the fuck did you totally like, exploring yeah. it and just being open to you know we'll find the weirdest looking thing on the wall sometimes and be like let's go home and figure this shit out you know <laughs> it, it can be yeah. fun it can be so fun and if yeah. you're intimidated by the store then shop online mm-hmm. um, usually they send things very discreetly totally. and all that the only thing about online is the size can be very distorted when you're, I mean I've ordered dildos that are like oh my gosh how am I going to fit that inside <laughs> me um, so really looking at the inches yes. is important yes. but I personally love um, for me, I like dildos. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't vibrate, and I'm internal, right? So that makes sense. So it makes a lot body, of sense. Yeah. But a lot of people, if you love the clitoral stem, mm-hmm. the womanizer, which has a terrible name, yes, but it's great, right? But it's we've talked a lot about yeah, that. Yeah, toy. yeah. I recommend that too. And um, the wand is also very yeah. popular. Um, so those are more for external. Back but variety is big, yeah. and cock rings are amazing. They and the vibrating cock rings, because then it's something that you can enjoy too. There are a couple stories out there. Yeah, Just and research. So many people orgasm more quickly with mm-hmm. toys. So if you're somebody who mm. is like, I'm not really in the mood right now, and it takes me 20 minutes, and mm. takes my partner mm-hmm. like a second to get turned on. Oh, interesting. That's put the great. toy in even before you start. Like that's one of my that's things I recommend great. to people who are like, it takes me so long. But mm. usually it's because they were in their head all day and they're like stressed out. And you have to separate. Yeah. yeah. But if you put a little like, you know, like a, any kind of internal toy or a little vibrating mm-hmm. panties or something, mm. by the time you get to it, you're like almost ready, ready to, to explode. Yeah. Um, I want to end on asking about your experience with the uh, MRI. So in your book, you talk about how you were part of an orgasm study. Just tell me the story with that. Yeah, so you can imagine. I went from never having Mm -hmm. (laughs) masturbated, written papers about that, and then I like it became such a passion of mine. And so I found out that they were doing these orgasm MRI studies Mm -hmm. at Rutgers University. And I thought, oh my gosh, how could I ever get to be so lucky? I was like envious that I hadn't been picked. And then I ran into one of the scientists at an event, and I was totally, I thought it was like fate or something that he said I could come and do this. When in reality, it's very hard to get people to sign up. Really? But I was like, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm like, they picked me. <laughs> it was probably so like why anybody. Did you, why did you want to do it so bad? Uh, I get off on knowing <laughs> what's going on in bodies. Like Amazing. I love medical tests, other, the ones that don't hurt. Yeah. I like so fascinating. I, I'm so fascinated by the body. Mm-hmm. Um, the brain fascinates me. Getting plugged into things. <laughs> I don't know. It turns me on. And so sure. there's that. And then also because of this passion around masturbation, mm-hmm. I was like, this I want to go calling. all yeah. in. Like, I need to do this. And uh, and because I'm very outspoken about things, I wanted to be able to write about it. Sure. So I think I was the fourth or fifth journalist to do it. Wow. Uh, and what exactly yeah. are they studying or what are they trying to find? In this case, they were studying what happens in the brain during arousal and orgasm when and the factors they were testing were with uh, clitoral stim Mm -hmm. like you were actually touching yourself and then they used one of the control factors was that you would imagine touching wow okay which turned out to be just as powerful i i was about to say what was the results of that you found out yeah and nipple stimulation same thing Mm -hmm. and also regardless of gender so it was interesting because we really don't regardless of gender with the nipple stimulation totally what? Yeah. 
fantasizing and, and touching or thinking about having them touch. They're mm-hmm. very erogenous for a lot of people. Interesting. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what the process was like. You actually had to be in an MRI machine. <laughs> you had to masturbate in front of doctors. Or what, did they leave you alone? They weren't actually, like, watching. Mm. So what happened, because have you seen Masters of Sex or read? No. Okay. So I had this vision of, like, I just, to, I for some reason thought I would be able to just be hooked up to things, like uh-huh. electrodes, and just go at right. it in any position right. I want right. to, which is not how MRIs work. <laughs> and so I was reading the fine print and my contract and stuff on my way. Like, I'm in the plane. It's coming up in two days. And I was like, oh, I should have read this earlier. I should have practiced because you have to – I was on my back. Mm-hmm. I had this weird mask that looked like a colander um, <laughs> holding my face yeah. and head in place. And you couldn't move. Couldn't move. I could barely – you could move your hand to touch yourself. Yeah. But if you moved too much, if your head moved at all, you would mess up right. everything. And so I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm not going to be able to it's help not, you. Yeah. And it was really interesting because when I told them that, I, like, fessed up. Like, I'm ruining all of this and your time and your money. They said, it's just as helpful if you don't experience orgasm, which relaxed me because totally. when we take the pressure off, that's what happens. Exactly. And then he also, the head scientist said, would you like to try it with a toy? And I'm like – Ding, ding, ding. So I brought my trusty dildo. Yes. I got one just for this experience, which oh, I still love It's your still like a special one on your nightstand. It's my very special one. <laughs> like yeah, in a frame. It's purple. Um, but yeah, so I got to experience this twice. And it was, they also told me that when they were putting me in, because I'd never had an MRI, they said some people get realize they're claustrophobic mm. once they're in there and mm. they start having a panic attack. So mm. if that happens, hit the button, you'll go flying out. I was like, this yep. is getting less and less romantic. Yeah, um, not what you thought it was going to be. No, but the science scientists were like on the other side of glass and I was fully in the machine mm-hmm. so they could hear everything so like if the, you're grunting right. or moaning or whatever they'd hear that but they couldn't wa- they weren't watching right, or anything right, right. Um, and it was actually kind of like soothing in there it's like yeah. a little cocoon and you're watching these slides in front of your face tell you to do different things yeah. and it actually was incredibly arousing because it's very yes. slow moving yes. and you're fantasizing and touching mm-hmm. a little and fantasizing mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize um, that I had – okay, so you know how I said I'm an internal mm-hmm, orgasmer? Mm-hmm. So this was all cl- a clitoral stim. Mm-hmm, so again, mm-hmm. another thing I hadn't done. And I thought I had not had ex- any orgasms mm-hmm. that way. But what ended up happening was I felt this, like, mild – quote-unquote sure. mild release. Sure, sure. So when the scientist asked me, I thought I was just done because I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere yeah. else. But I'm like, I felt this releasey thingy. Yeah. And then I finished and he said, did you orgasm? And I was like, <gasps> and I was wet and I was swollen and like every – I had totally come, but I had been writing off these fluttery uh, orgasms the on the outside orgasms. as like not a thing. Because yeah. unless your experience is like big, giant, I'll have right. what she's having moment, then mm-hmm. we're like kind of writing it off. Yeah, which but I felt goes, so bad. I was like, I yeah. never loved those. I think it could, it, it can all tie back to like how we think of what sex is and what success with sex looks like. And it doesn't always have to be that big, oh, moment. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the takeaways, I think, because now I really do embrace those. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. are you written about somewhere like in a book at Rutgers or? or? Uh, <laughs> finally in college. Yes. Um, no, there's, uh, well, I'm 
my results were part of a study, oh, so cool. they don't name everybody. But right, then I right. wrote about it for Cosmo, and then it's in my, yeah. my book. And I interviewed Dr. Kamizarik and Nan Wise, the mm-hmm. two researchers who are amazing. It's very hard for them to get these studies approved because people are like, you're having sex on campus. Sure. I'm like, there's a lot of sex on yeah, campus, and yeah, you don't yeah, got to worry about this. At least this is this. under the guise of... <laughs> right, and you're right. by yourself. Right. It's like... Yeah, anyway. Wow. It was amazing. So can can you tell people, please, where they can get Girl Boner? Because I'm so, I'm loving going through it, and I can't wait to finish it. I've got so many dog-eared pages. And now I got the journal. Yay. Thank you so much. So they're available most anywhere books are sold. They're both on Amazon. And you can also find all the links at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. And then you also listen to Girl Boner Radio? Yeah, so my podcast is Girl Boner Radio and uh, interview all different sorts of people about sexual empowerment. Share a lot about my own life, as I know you do too, and we have a lot of fun. And anywhere on social media they can find you? Yeah, if you search hashtag Girl Boner pop up everywhere. That pop up everywhere just makes me like, I'm watching myself just like, (laughs) the boner comes out of your screen. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This thank was you, Kelsey. Fucking fascinating. So fun being here. Awesome.